0: That one to me is, uh, that's like right up there with the failure to progress. It's oh, just yeah. being like that, how, to call somebody cervix incompetent.
1: I'm Cynthia Overgaard, owner of Hypnobirthing of Connecticut, childbirth advocate, and postpartum support specialist. And I'm Tricia Ludwig, certified nurse midwife and
0: international board certified lactation consultant. And this is the Down to Birth podcast. Childbirth is something we're made to do, but how do we have our safest and most satisfying experience in today's medical culture? Let's dispel
1: the myths and get down to birth.
0: Have you ever wondered why we call it labor or say he or she delivered my baby? Maybe you felt defeated when your care provider diagnosed you with failure to progress or suggested you had an incompetent cervix. The words we use matter a lot. Sarah is a mother, educator, birth worker, and founder of Birth Words. With a master's degree in linguistics, she was inspired to fuse her passion for words and for birth into a revolutionary movement, bringing awareness to the words we use and reframing our language in a way that gives strength to the birthing woman. She joins us today to explain just how to do this.
2: Hi, I am Sarah Pixton, and I am here to talk about a little project I have called BirthWords. Uh, I'll give you a little introduction into how I came into BirthWords um, because I think it gives some context to help you better understand what it is that I do with BirthWords. So, after the birth of my son, which he's coming up on his fourth birthday in, in a couple of months, so almost four years ago. I felt the call to birth work, like I know many birth workers do, it just kind of grabbed me. His birth was empowering, transformative and positive in all the right ways, especially in contrast to my first birth. Um, and when I talked to friends about it, they were surprised to hear that i would had such a positive experience and I knew that I wanted that to not be so rare. That Birth should be a positive and empowering experience for many, many people. And so I became a birth doula. But around the same time, I was also starting a master's degree in applied linguistics. And I got into applied linguistics um, with my background originally being in education. My bachelor's degree is in elementary education. And I've always felt that our words matter. So that's kind of what pulled me into linguistics to begin with. But as I continued to develop my birth work career and kept working on my master's degree, I eventually realized that there was a really interesting overlap between those two fields. Similar to the way that I thought about the education experience, it's really important the way that we frame pregnancy, birth, and the postpartum experience. I feel like there's a lot of power in the way that we allow ourselves to be influenced by words and the words that we mindfully and intentionally choose to prepare for and create our experience.
1: This is one of my own favorite topics as well. I love foreign language and I love linguistics. And I remember learning something very interesting at one point where Helen Keller, when she was finally able to communicate, I remember how she was explaining that before she had language, she couldn't form thoughts. So when she was feeling an intense emotion, she didn't even have a name for it, whether she was frustrated, lonely, angry, sad, because there just wasn't a word to apply to it. Our words really shape our thoughts immensely. Mm -hmm. I remember having a friend who was a very successful business guy. And I remember he called me once after work and was chatting with me. And he said something like, Well, we lost our biggest. He was the CFO and he was like, Well, we lost our biggest client today, and the CEO resigned as a result. So he was next up. And I I will never forget his next words were, So this is going to be fun. And I thought, This is why he can handle a job like this, because Mm. he used the word fun. And in the same week, a friend asked me, I was pregnant at the time. In the same week, a friend asked me, What will I do if I hit traffic on the way to the birthing center? And they said, Because that'll be a disaster. Mm-hmm. And I thought, holy cow, the way people use language. I mean, a disaster if I hit traffic. That was an intense word, and I had to work to get it out of my mind. Yeah, that's so interesting. I, I it,
0: it kind of explains why young children, especially like toddlers before they have language development, have such fits mm-hmm. of emotion, and they because they actually don't know how to put the word to it to express it. Right. And then as we become adults, if we don't develop that um, emotional intelligence and attach our emotions to words. We don't necessarily throw tantrums like toddlers, but we can have just as much frustration and internal agitation because we don't know how to name what we're feeling.
2: I feel like language is a mediating tool and I'm not coming up with that. It's coming from Lev Vygotsky, who's a philosopher in education that through language we mediate, right? It's this to go between, between our experiences and our internal life and helps to bridge that gap. And so it's really important, the words and language that we choose to bridge that gap.
0: And this isn't this isn't something that most women think about when it comes to pregnancy, childbirth, and postpartum. It's just sort of like the language that they see online or on social media or that their care provider uses is just what they accept and aren't consciously thinking about the impact that it has.
2: Exactly. If we take a step back and look at some of the language that we are not very mindful about, that we just allow to be part of the pregnancy and birth experience, so much of it is disempowering. So much of it puts authority in the hands of the care provider, like exclusively, right? We want, we have a care provider because we trust in their authority, but to give over just the authority of the process of giving birth So much of the language just encourages that sort of attitude and also speaks about labor and birth as if it's a machine that needs to be fixed or as if women or those giving birth are broken. So I really try to just say, wow, let's pause and be mindful about how we're describing this experience as we're preparing for it through pregnancy and as we're experiencing pregnancy and then through the early parenting time as well
1: we talk about this quite a lot and maybe the most important one to start with is the fact that a doctor or midwife does not deliver your baby, but you deliver your Mm -hmm. baby, no matter how you give birth, even if it's a surgical birth, you deliver your babies. And when I hear women speaking that way, like, Oh, well, that's the doctor who delivered me. Mm -hmm. It's like, don't take that from your mother. Your mother delivered Mm -hmm. you. We know that for a fact, no matter Mm -hmm. how you came into the world. I remember first being woken up to this notion years ago when I was speaking to my mentor, Nancy Weiner, a friend and mentor. She's the midwife who coined the acronym VBAC, by the way. Mm. Uh, Famous author, famous midwife. And I remember speaking with her years ago and I said to her, how many babies have you delivered? And she said, well, I've delivered three. I've attended about Mm -hmm. 2,800 births. Okay, I will not make that mistake again.
2: Mm.
1: So have you talked about that one in particular? Yeah,
2: I think a lot of the reason we use that word comes from like our Judeo-Christian roots. And if you look at the Bible and the translation of like the King James Version, which was, oh, I don't remember all the dates off the top of my head, but centuries old, right? Um, This language that then became a lot of the underpinnings of our culture Mm -hmm. uses in that translation, the word deliverer to mean like deliver from enemies Mm -hmm. and to talk about childbirth. But if you go back farther and you look at the original language in the Hebrew of the Bible, there were actually two totally different terms used, one that was relating to childbirth and one that was like delivering from enemies and delivering from sin and bondage, right? And at some point they got conflated and then we got into this place where somehow over hundreds of years we started talking about our doctors delivering us as if we were in some sort of bondage or being needing to be delivered from an enemy when wow instead really there's this power and beauty in the birth giver delivering the child into the world right or because of the history of the term deliver really don't even like to use it to say, um, Mm -hmm. some women are like, I just hate that that term has been used to talk about a doctor delivering me. So I'm just going to not use it at all and say, I'm giving birth. Mm -hmm. And some women are like, you know what? I love that word. As long as I'm the one delivering my baby.
1: You can't go wrong with the word birth. The word really is the most fitting, right? Tricia. Don't you agree with that? It's it's what's what's, (laughs) happened. It's what's happening. I
0: mean, the 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 history you just gave on the word deliver makes me sort of like cringe thinking about using it in birth but then even if you take that whole history out of it and you just think like the word deliver as we know it today is like about bringing a package to somebody like it's it's amazon it's pizza it's not having a child come into your arms that is you know it's like doesn't even make sense right it doesn't even make sense so yes,
1: life.
0: it's so ingrained, though, I mean, even as a, a midwife who has been conscious of not wanting to use that word for years, it still slips right. out for me, mm-hmm. you know, I still say it when I'm speaking in a certain way or to certain people, yeah. it's just like it's, it's there. It takes a lot of effort to change these things. So that's number one, for sure. So let's talk about some of the other
2: yeah. I get asked a lot um, in the work that I do to say like, okay, so give me a list of words that I should use and words that I shouldn't use. And while I feel strongly about a few words and a few phrases that are commonly used, I also feel like it's important to just be personally and individually reflective and intentional in your language because so much about language is individual and it's unique to your lived experience. So I feel like I can't, give a rundown of like, nobody should ever use these words and people should always use these words. And a good example of that is the word contraction versus like a surge or a wave. And I know, Cynthia, you are a hypnobirth instructor, is that? Yes. So you're very familiar with all the other options, right? Lots of other options and saying, let's step away from these terms. And I've had discussions with a variety of people who have women who say, I really love the word contraction because I'm a dancer and I love that my muscles contract and I feel their strength. And so when I'm giving birth, I love to think about the contraction of my uterus. Now I know in hypnobirthing, we talk about, well, that's not physiologically what you really want to be happening, that tightening.
1: Well, what I say to my clients is the way the the word will affect you is where your mind is when you use the term. So there is, yes. a, there is a contraction happening in the upper uterine muscles. So I say, if your right. mind is at the upper uterine muscles, then the word contraction will work for you. If your mind mm-hmm. is around the cervix and the mm-hmm. expansion of the cervix, yes. then your mind will not respond well to the word contraction. So oh, yes. it is personal, even in hypnobirthing, but we present these other options and say, are you aware of what you're visualizing when you're giving birth? If your mind is at the cervix, then maybe contraction isn't going to be the one that suits you best.
2: But we certainly don't want it to be contracted. So we default
1: right? to surge, right? We default to surge under that assumption. But I always point out like, but think about where your mind is because there is indeed a contraction, but it's,
2: it's way high up. Yeah. I really like that. Um, because then like, if that word gets you that feeling of like, wow, what a powerful muscle I have that's contracting at the top, then great. But um, I like the words surge and wave for many brothers because they draw on more natural processes, right? Um,
0: It's it's also a word that is bringing in power. mm -hmm. It's like a a wave and a surge is something that's building and gathering strength Mm -hmm. and gathering energy, whereas contraction is clamping, tightening, shutting down. Mm-hmm. Even though that is what you just said the physiologic process of what the muscle in the uterus is meant to do, but not the cervix but, at the, not the cervix. <laughs> But 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 not the whole body. It's not just the cervix. Right. The cervix yeah, does exact is meant to do the exact opposite, but but also your whole body needs to relax mm-hmm. and and be filled with this energy and not be in a tight, I mean we don't want clamped neck and mouth and you know shoulders we want all of that to be relaxed the only part that's supposed to contract
2: is precisely the muscles of the uterus that are doing the job during that's a really good point yeah and then the other thing about just like these underlying metaphors right that we talk about what is the body doing during labor and birth what's the metaphor underlying it and if we talk about a labor stalling those sorts of terms that make it sound like my labor is a machine that I climb into and it's supposed to just chug along and do its work. And I'm kind of just writing, but occasionally it stops and needs repair. And I'm not the repairman, right? Like it just shifts the power of who's experiencing this birth and who's the one to quote repair things when they go quote wrong, rather than trusting in the physiological process that, um, it's more of a natural process that builds and ebbs and flows, right?
0: Yeah. And it's it's like birth is its own unique mm. um, effort, its own unique work. Like labor encompasses all these different things in the world mm-hmm. that we do. Like the first thing that comes to my mind is like plowing a field. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know, this is like the laboring work of hard, physical, exhausting work. But But birth is not just that, yes, it's work and yes, it can be tiring, but it's also filled with this really positive energy of bringing forth life. And it should just, you know, it, it feels to me like it should be separate from the generalization of labor. And it's, it's really its own thing, its own being, which birth is really the best word to describe it. That's the only thing I can think of to to replace labor.
2: I like that because like you say, we use other words from other realms and they come along with all sorts of other connotations and societal influences and assumptions and perspectives that can come along with the terminology if we're using words that are used in other areas.
0: And I, I, I can't think of any example of a care provider who says, she, you know, my, my patient has arrived and she's in birth.
1: Do you, Cynthia, can you think of anyone who speaks of it? Well, differently? no, but you just triggered something in my mind when you said patient because I'm averse to using <laughs> the word patient for pregnant women. I mean, that's it's, another so one, funny. Right? it's another word. It's like so many, it's so another, many words yeah. to talk about. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Isn't that yeah? So can we talk about patient for a minute? Yeah. I mean, I feel like coming I told a little bit of my personal story at the beginning, but this one's one that's pretty personally meaningful for me because before my first birth experience, um, which was a twin pregnancy and birth that ended in an emergency cesarean, I was on bed rest in the hospital. So I was a patient, right? Like I was lying in bed getting medication delivered to me, like not allowed to get out of bed, all of these things that were very, very patient. Like that was the identity that was mine. And then as I entered the birthing time, I think that it made a really big difference that that's how I'd identified myself as a hospital patient. In need of care, right? In yeah, right. Care. In need of care and, and a passive recipient of it, right? And so I think that when we use the word patient, again, it comes along with all of these Ways of thinking about the person who is identified as a patient because typically a patient is one who is sick or injured or in need of care, like you're saying, because there's something not going right. When we come to birth, we're like the epitome of life and health. Sometimes there are complications that need monitoring, but to use a term that implies so much of this passive reception of care. When really, the act of birthing is, like I said, the epitome of health and life as you bring forth new mm-hmm. life can I think be really problematic in how we prepare for an experience of birth
0: well, I can't imagine that um, birthing mothers were ever called patients before they entered
1: the hospital exactly and then I believe when the baby is born in a hospital, the baby too is referred to as another a new patient it's, mm. it is it is definitely
2: yeah, and then I think as the birth giver yourself it's important to not think of yourself as a patient right and i think that that's another important aspect of this we've keep talking about the individuality of the birth experience down to birth
0: is sponsored by postpartum soothe recovering from a vaginal birth takes many women by surprise everyday activities like sitting walking and going to the bathroom can be uncomfortable and postpartum soothe is just the remedy to support your healing and relieve discomfort Postpartum Soothe is a 100% organic herbal blend that's applied to maternity pads in the days immediately following your birth, giving you all the benefits of a sitz bath 24-7. That's because herbs like comfrey leaf, uva ursi, and witch hazel are known for their antimicrobial and anti-inflammatory properties. Postpartum Soothe can be prepared any time during the third trimester, and it makes a beautiful baby gift. It's a must for any woman seeking a faster, easier recovery from a vaginal birth visit postpartumsoothe.com that's postpartumsoothe s o o t h e.com and use promo code down to birth let's talk
1: about the word failure um ftp number one reason for c section failure to progress exactly right mm-hmm.
2: wow like, Yep. what a terrible thing yep. to tell somebody as their big they're beginning their journey of parenthood mm-hmm. and to literally give you a label of failure. Like mm-hmm. how could we do anything worse yes. <laughs> for me at the beginning of their parenting journey? Mm-hmm. That is all oh, like that just rips my heart open. Yeah. Because, and and it's so tricky, right? Because it's not as if doctors and midwives and those working in these clinical settings that use these terms are pr- purposefully being malicious or purposefully, Right. They're just they have a set of terminology that has its background in history and is used in this situation. But I just think, wow, let's pause and just think about some of these words that we use so regularly. Like you said, failure to progress, the most common reason. Wow. Ah, I hate it so much.
1: It's a very strong word. It's a very strong word. I mean, it's not a failure anyway. I mean, it's, that's, what's just so sad about it. It's not her failure anyway. Failure to progress usually points to just a long, slow labor that our society has no interest in waiting for. Right. Even In the case of a woman who needs a cesarean section or needs intervention, it's still not a failure you know, the fact that no one is thinking about this or questioning this is what's so disappointing. The first time I heard that term, I had that thought right away. My son's birth story was published and I talked about it in the birth story. I talked about that term and my emotional reaction to hearing what it meant because my doctor said after listing a dozen reasons why she quote likes to give cesarean sections, she finished the list with failure to progress. And I said, what's that? And she said, I'm going to need to see you dilate a centimeter an hour. Mm. And I look back and think, what right do you have to need anything of me? What language, even to say, I'm going to need to see, really? Mm -hmm. No, doctor, I'm going to need you to support me. And if I really need intervention, then I will need you to speak up and have a conversation with me. That was so hard to listen to failure. And then you start having thoughts Mm -hmm. like, I hope my body works. Mm -hmm. And then of course that can have a physiologic impact. Mm -hmm. So we have to be so careful about how we speak to each other.
2: Yeah. Wow.
1: Powerful stuff.
0: Language. I mean, we have to become so much more aware of what kind of information we take in, what we digest, how we speak to ourselves, because our bodies are listening, always listening.
2: Yeah. So the, the guidelines that I, use as part of my work, I have three key words that I talk about being with our language, being reflective, being intentional, and being empowering. And I think each of those, like they're not really a step through each of them, they overlap a lot. But as we're reflective, like we've been during this conversation, as we're saying like, wow, I've never thought about the implications of that word that's so commonly used. I wonder how it's affected my and other people's experiences. And as we're intentional, sorry, intentional, about choosing other words to create an experience, then it goes toward the third word, um, empowering, that I mentioned. Of saying, let's use words that put power in the hands of the one giving birth, like uh, Cynthia was saying, with "I'm going to need to see this of you," right? Like as if Mm -hmm. that is the ultimate authority. Yeah,
0: we've talked about a lot of big words, like key key points like deliver and failure and labor but then there's all these other very subtle words that are used in the in managing birth that Mm -hmm. are incredibly disempowering for example when um, most of the time when a woman is checked in labor if she hasn't reached a 10 centimeters or or a point where we feel very excited the language is well you're only four centimeters Mm -hmm. right or you're still stuck at five. And I'm like I mean, oh. that kind oh,
1: of, <laughs> that kind of language just isn't helpful. You remind me of another story that a doula shared with me in which a woman was laboring. And I think she was in a semi reclining position, leaning back and her knees were bent and upward. And at one point, the provider, it was a female provider, took her, took the woman by the knees and shook her knees, shook her legs and said, relax these legs. These legs are mine right now. Relax them. And I was just like, what? Oh. These legs are mine right now. These legs are never yours. <laughs> this baby is never yours. This birth is never yours. Just get your ego out of this. Like what, how, right. even if it slipped out, even when people apologize later and say, I'm sorry, I said such and such. It's very little consolation because words are a reflection of thoughts. So if someone slips and says something utterly inappropriate to you like that, To me, like if that were to happen during a prenatal, I would say that's a red flag because it doesn't matter that they can control, consciously control the language they use going forward. They just slipped. They just let slip how they think. Mm -hmm. It just slipped out of their mouth before they caught it. But that is a reflection of how they think. Like you can't get most providers to speak that way because their brain won't even go there. They couldn't be Mm -hmm. tired enough. They couldn't be drunk enough on enough glasses of wine to start talking that way because it just doesn't happen in their mind. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Use that kind of language. They don't think of their clients that way.
2: Yeah. When we're talking too about the cervical checks and the language about only this many centimeters or stuck at this many centimeters. I also think the introductory phrase to that is often, I'm going to check you, right? Mm-hmm. That's yeah. a phrase that's often said, which again, like, let's pause and be reflective about. I'm going to check you. What kind of position does that put the care provider in and the birth, the birthing woman in if she's being checked? It's like an exam, right? And we use that, a cervical exam. We fit, And most don't get empowered at the thought of being given an exam, right? Especially one that they don't have a lot of power over the results of. And then again, it can plant those seeds of doubt or uh, mistrust of your body, like we talked about with the term failure. And when we were talking about that and came back just a minute ago to failure to progress, I also it also reminded me of then, if you're one of those given the label of failure to progress and had a c-section, then if you have a subsequent birth and you're preparing for a VBAC, um, if they were given this term of failure, and then now they're told they're trying for a vaginal birth. I mean, trial of labor is this term that Mm -hmm. people use. Technically, a first time giving birth is a trial of labor, right? Which, Oh, it's tricky, right? Because like, in some ways, I just want to tear that apart and be like, let's not use this word. Let's not talk about it as if it's some kind of a clinical trial, or it just has that word try in it that again, can be kind of triggering to people who've been given a label of failure previously. And now they feel like they're only being uh, given a chance to try.
1: Absolutely. The subconscious doesn't respond well to
2: the word try at all right so this is where we run into some really difficult things with this language and wanting to dismantle the whole system and rewrite the script where different words would be used but then at the same time acknowledging okay if i am giving birth and i'm preparing for this experience i can't dismantle the whole system in my experience like i can't say i'm giving birth and so nobody's ever going to use the word trial nobody's ever going to use the term incompetent cervix, nobody's ever going to say that I'm stalling, nobody's ever going to say that I'm stuck. Like we can reframe the words that we use in our mind, but we also, as we're reflective and intentional about the words that we're using, need to determine strategies to respond when you do encounter those words that are, for instance, if you're preparing for a VBAC and you're giving birth at a hospital, you are unlikely to be able to avoid the term trial of labor after cesarean. Mm -hmm. And so you have to come up with some strategies to say, when I encounter that term, how am I going to re-identify it for myself? Mm -hmm. Because there might be a nurse or a care provider who says something in your birth that could be triggering, like these legs are mine right now. What are you going to do in that moment when somebody says something like that? And I think a lot of it lies in just In your preparation, being mindful about using terms that put the power in your hands. And I don't know, what are your thoughts about that?
1: Well, I talk to clients about this because Tony Robbins is the first person who ever taught me about this in my life. So I tell them, look, you can't control what other people are going to say. If you have a preference for the word surge over contraction or the word Client over the word patient, we can't control. And the big one in hypnobirthing that I personally feel very strongly about is avoiding use of the word pain because I just right. my the only question I ever ask is is this serving the birthing mother? And if it is not, we don't use it. We don't say it. We don't do it. We don't show. We just don't go there. Um, like how they haunt VBAC women with talk of uh, uterine rupture all the time, but they never mention mm. it to a first-time mom when the risk is so similar. <clears throat> Um, we just, we, we replace it. So I say we can't control that your provider might say that to you or that your friends might, you can't go around correcting everyone and asking them to use different language. Maybe you can with some people, but you replace it in your mind. So if they say, um, what are you feeling on the pain scale in your mind, as you think about what they say, say they're asking about my comfort level. If you hear them call you patient in your mind, just say client, Trisha, what were you going to say? Oh, I was going way back
0: to just something Sarah said about a, a term that I wanted to make sure we addressed was the incompetent cervix. Mm, yeah, I like slipped that one that, in did <laughs> Yes. And I it's just like that one to me is that's like right up there with the failure to progress. It's oh, just yeah. being like that how, to call somebody cervix incompetent. I mean, I, I, how is any woman after having been given that diagnosis, supposed to go on in a future pregnancy and feel that her cervix is going to do its job.
2: Yeah, and I feel like it is representative of something that happens with a lot of these terms that we've talked about and many that we don't, haven't yet talked about, where the birthing woman's body is objectified. The process and experience of labor and birth are talked about as if they're happening outside of somebody's body but we need to take a step back and say hold on this cervix which we've given this label of incompetent to is a part of a whole person a whole being with not just physical anatomy but with emotions and experiences and future experiences and so often the commonly used terms treat the labor experience that way and that happens with cervical exams and just various points along the pregnancy at appointments with doctors. Sometimes we just talk about this experience as if it's separate from the whole person. That's among basically almost any other experience, the paramount of mind, body, spirit, emotion, mental, intellect, Mm -hmm. physical, all of these things happening at once. So to treat it separately with our language, I think, is just really, really tragic. And I think that with the sorts of language that changes that need to happen in birth, they're going to need to be that more intentional variety of language change because just letting things happen over years seems like we just get this trickle down of these terms that are not helpful in the birth space. Let's be mindful about the words. And I call it sometimes the linguistic reformation. Let's pause and purposefully make language change in this way that is more agentive and is purposeful and driven. Because it needs to happen.
0: If you enjoyed our podcast, please take a moment to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and share a favorite episode or two. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Down to Birth Show, or contact us and review show notes at
1: downtownbershow.com Please remember this information is made available to you for educational and informational purposes only It is in no way a substitute for medical advice For our full disclaimer visit slash disclaimer Thanks for tuning in and as always hear everyone and listen to yourself It's kind of like when someone has said to you in your life, don't worry. And you think, why would I worry? I wasn't worried at all until you said, until you said, don't worry. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: These are all examples of how language impacts Mm -hmm. our experience.